0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we've been looking at the uh, Old Testament book of Joshua for several weeks, and now we come to the most well-known story in the book, the Battle of Jericho. And much of what uh, we've read and preached on so far has been leading up to this very event. The walled uh, city of Jericho is anticipating Israel's coming, so they're now on lockdown. Uh, in their fortified city, and God gives Joshua instructions for conquering uh, this, the first of uh, several city-states to come in Canaan. Uh, And so that's why it's highlighted, because it's the first one and devoted to total destruction. And so the orders are to ceremonially march around the city for for six days, first of all, with the Ark of the Covenant, which uh, represents the presence of God there with them when they're in battle. And on the seventh day, uh, they're not to march around just once, uh, but to march around the city of Jericho seven times. And on the seventh time, as we heard, although the, uh, the, the instruments had been playing, the trumpet, the ram's horns... Uh, On the seventh time, on the seventh day, they were to keep silent until that point, and now they're to shout. And with the resonance of their shouting, all the walls, all the walls uh, crumble and fall flat. And the army of Israel then destroys everything uh, according to God's orders, except, everything except... Uh, any uh, g- uh, gold, silver, bronze, or iron that they find because you you simply can't destroy metal. Uh, but they're not to take it for themselves, but to put it in the Lord's treasury. Uh, and then also to spare Rahab, the prostitute, and her family because they helped the spies of Israel back in chapter 2. There is a ton... A ton that I can say about this story. Much too much for our time today. And this is okay, I think, because next week will be a sort of a part two uh, sermon, uh, because we'll look at the, the other verses in chapter six next week. So I'll say some things that I wanted to say today, and I'm probably trying to say too much today, but believe me, I've pared it down. Uh, So we'll look at the rest of uh, chapter 6 next week, so stay tuned. Somebody said earlier today that the average, uh, like, sort of regular churchgoer goes to church just two Sundays a month. Stop doing that if that's you, because you're missing out. Uh, Please come back uh, next week, because this is a sort of two-part sermon, as it were. Although, I mean, we're in this for a couple months, Joshua, but here's the sort of The story that you you know best, and here we're uh, preaching on it. And I'm going to emphasize three points that Joshua makes in his speech that are there in the middle of the passage. If you have your bulletin, you can look at it, or in your Bible. We're in chapter 6. Just looking at verses 17 and 18, this is what Joshua says uh, in his speech to Israel in the, the midst of the battle. Here are the three points that he makes. One is the idea that the city of Jericho is to be devoted to destruction is the phrase that's repeated in Joshua. So that's the first point is this idea of complete devotion to destruction. The second point is about the rescue of Rahab and her family from destruction. And the third point is the risk that Israel has of taking anything that is to be devoted to destruction. As I've said before, the conquest of Canaan is a a problem for sensitive uh, contemporary readers, and I want to be compassionate about that, because if you feel that way, I was once like you, Um, and even some Christians can find this content troubling too. Um, Is this a story of outright theft? Of genocide, of ethnic cleansing? Does it show no respect for those who are defending their own land? Is God, as uh, Richard Dawkins, who's probably the most uh, famous of the, I quoted him last time, I think it was him I quoted, of the New, capital N, capital A, New Atheist Movement. If you haven't heard of that before, the last 15 years or so, there's been a prominent, well-read, uh, what's called new atheist movement. And Richard Dawkins is God, as he calls him, uh, the God of the Old Testament, a moral monster, chiefly pointing to places like this uh, story of the Battle of Jericho. And I want to affirm that these questions raise legitimate uh, concerns, especially if you're not well acquainted with the Bible. You know, if if, you, if you're not well acquainted with the Bible and you read this sort of out of context, I can see where this is coming from. Or if you've, or if anyone's raised a question like this and you've been given simplistic answers by Christians, I get it if, if you have these concerns. So this sermon is a, and, and next week too, uh, and really this whole series is a sort of small attempt to begin to address some of those concerns, and I can't do it all, you know, we've only got 20-ish minutes. Um, and I'm just going to highlight these three points. Um, in chapters 17 and 18. So again, that first point is about the city of Jericho being quote, devoted to destruction. Uh, So we see this in the beginning of verse 17, where Joshua says, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. And so the thing I want to emphasize about this here, about this point, because it's not just Jericho, it's all of Canaan that's to be devoted to destruction. The thing I want to emphasize is that God's command to destroy Canaan was irregular. Not unique, but irregular. Uh, This command uh, was not permission for God's chosen people to engage in this type of conquest outside of the promised land. Uh, in this time period and outside of this region. It's very specific to this time period and this region of the promised land. So this is not command or permission for God's people to behave this way outside of the land and outside of that time and, and, to, and for Christians now. That's why Christians uh, ought to oppose things uh, that look a lot like the, the battle of Jericho. In fact, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20 Outlines two different sets of rules that God gives His people for warfare. Uh, one set of rules in Deuteronomy chapter twenty that God gives the people of Israel for uh, warfare is uh, for a set of rules for those outside of the land, and for warfare outside of the Promised Land. There's provision for mercy: women, children, livestock, and everything else beyond fighting men were not to be destroyed; uh, they're to be spared. Uh, sort of normal uh, um, rules of combat. I mean, if you think that that's, if that sounds bad enough, you know, newsflash, that's just normal combat, Um, and so that's what he's sort of outlining here, is outside of the promised land, normal rules of of combat. Uh, And the other set that he he gives in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20 are a set of rules for those inside the land which demands total destruction. Let me just read that to you because I think it's helpful to hear these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 20 that God commanded to Moses, and Moses is handed down to Israel, and Joshua was there, and he knows this. This is at the forefront of their mind. God said to Moses, But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. But you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And he gives the rationale here. He says this, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. And so this was uh, an irregular uh, command for uh, clearing out the promised land. Why? Not because of ethnicity, but because of the idolatry that's in the land. To set aside a place for God's people where there is no temptation to be led astray by uh, these practices of worshiping other gods. And here's one more thought on the idea of devoting Jericho and, and Canaan furthermore to, to total destruction. As I said a few weeks ago, we must understand the uh, biblical conviction that all people, all people, are sinners and therefore subject to God's judgment. We saw this in uh, John chapter three, verse 18. Remember, John 3:16, everybody knows uh, real well for God so loved the world. And then you skip ahead two verses, and uh, John says, uh, or Jesus says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. And this is our natural state. Our natural state without faith and trust in God is condemnation because of who we are as sinners. So the conquest of Canaan is an expression of, of God's judgment. As we learn throughout the first five books of the Old Testament, as I highlighted here from quoting chapter uh, chapter 20 in Deuteronomy, the Canaanites were not only uh, people who did not trust in the one true God, they appear to be so far gone as to be in complete enmity with God. Just listen to uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 18, for example, that explains this. I'm I'm, I'm citing these because I'm hoping that they're helpful for you to understand what's happening uh, here and what's in the background? What teaching have they heard about the Canaanites? Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So the uh, conquest of Canaan is, the, is, 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 is vomiting out the inhabitants. Uh, but you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before, before you did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you." which leads me to the second quote and the second point that I want to make that's here in verses 17 and 18. This is the rest of verse 17, where uh, Joshua says, Only Rahab the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. As we uh, saw in the Leviticus uh, verses that I've just read to you, and the, the story of Rahab the Canaanite prostitute, we cannot call the uh, destruction of Jericho, nor the commands for complete uh, cleanse, uh, complete uh, conquest, excuse me in Canaan, an ethnic cleansing. Rather, God's judgment is on the unfaithful, those who do not fear Him, is a classic word, meaning to have the, they don't have faith in Him. And His salvation is, is for those who do, on the other hand, who do fear Him, those who do have faith in Him. Even Israel is not immune to God's judgment. Even they needed to remember back in Exodus to smear the blood on the doorposts to avoid falling subject to the final plague in Egypt on the firstborn. If they too didn't smear the blood, their firstborn would also die. Why? Because like everyone else, they're sinners. You know, God's no respecter in these cases of ethnicity. It has to do with a matter of, of faith or unfaith. Likewise, God's grace and forbearance are not uh, limited uh, to ethnic Israel. It's available to all potential God-fearers regardless of nationality. Therefore, total destruction doesn't include any of the the faithful Canaanites who might come about. There's opportunity for them to surrender and survive, just like Rahab. As I uh, talked about several weeks ago when we looked at chapter 2. With this in mind... It's interesting that uh, verse 1 of our passage today in chapter 6 says this. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out. No one came in. In other words, no one surrendered and expressed faith in all those seven days. No one even shouted over the walls. You know, I see the destruction coming. Have mercy on me. There was no fear of the Lord among them except in Rahab the prostitute. It's also interesting that in chapter 6, Joshua calls the spies, the spies, did you catch this? Back in chapter 2, they were called spies. Did you see this? In chapter 6, they're called messengers, not spies. And it's actually, if you look at the Hebrew, it's a totally different word in the Hebrew than it was used in chapter 2. In chapter six, it's the same word that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament for angel. An angel. I mean, it, it, I mean this sort of popular imagination that we have of angels being sort of like, you know, sort of sensitive, fat uh, people with wings on Hallmark cards. That's not what it meant. The word angel meant a, a messenger of God. Uh, And so this is the word that he's using here in chapter 6 to talk about those spies. So the the implication is that the sending of the spies into Jericho was a sort of warning message of sorts. uh, So that others might follow the lead of Rahab and fear the Lord, and apparently no one did. So again, the basis of the judgment is not based on the uh, nationality of the Canaanites. Indeed, later we'll see in Joshua that the, uh, the Gibeonites will be spared too, who, like Rahab, surrender in fear of the Lord. So my final point is now related to the whole of verse 18, where Joshua says, But you, Israel, uh, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things, and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction, and bring trouble upon it. There's a concern here that we saw in that Leviticus chapter 18 uh, passage that I've just read to you, that if any unrepentant Canaanites were allowed to live in the land, it would be like allowing a sort of uh, contagion to remain. Israel would be brought down. They would be led to idolatry which is the worship of other gods, any other god than the one true God. And this is the worst thing possible. I mean, this is, the, this is trespassing on the very first commandment. And such a risk would destroy Israel ultimately. So they had to clear out the risk, lest they be destroyed too. Indeed, we later see that the rest of the Old Testament actually deals with uh, Israel's failure to conquest Canaan. The rest of the Old Testament is, an, uh, 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 is the, the consequences of their inability to actually conquer the land uh, because they're repeatedly led astray by all idolatry and the harmful practices of their unrepentant neighbors, and many, including some of the kings, even marry some of them, leading them further as- astray. So to restate everything that I've just said, that's that's packed into verses 17 and 18 in Joshua's speech. Uh, Jericho and Canaan being devoted to to destruction was an irregular event. It's also a manifestation of God's judgment on any who are unrepentant. It's irregular but not unique. And the reason why I say that is that we know that there is another uh, judgment up ahead. Jesus talks about this all the time. Also, Paul Uh, it's throughout the New Testament that there's another judgment like it coming. The second point was that Rahab, uh, the rescue of Rahab is evidence that the conquest was not based, based on ethnicity, but solely on dividing the faithful from the unfaithful. Canaanites were given provision to repent and to enter Israel. And finally, God is serious, deadly serious about the risk of Israel taking anything idolatrous because this would lead them astray into the types of unrepentant idolatry and abominable practices. I mean, crazy things like sacrificing their own children and and, and just nasty things that I don't want to describe to you here that would uh, land them among the the Canaanites. And this is the very last... uh, These these were the things that uh, God was judging uh, them for. And doesn't want them to follow these practices as well. So I'm going to conclude all of this. I hope you've been bearing with me because it's a little bit outside of my style. I feel like for this text, though, I really want to give a good uh, treatment of, of what we're reading here. But I want to conclude everything that I've said by um, giving you some points of application based on my observations. And there's more that I wanted to say. And I think what I might do is offer um, some communal applications next week, some communal applications based on what we're reading here in uh, chapter 6 next week. But this week, I want to turn to each of you personally, individually, and provide some individual applications based on uh, what we've just read. If you gain one um, solid takeaway from this uh, preaching series on Joshua, especially in these chapters that we're in right now, I really hope it's to have a solid understanding of just how far gone all of us are. As I've said before, we're actually the contemporary equivalents of the uh, citizens of Jericho, you know? Um, and uh, all of us are deserving of God's judgment because of our inherent nature, to the full extent that we see in uh, stories like Jericho to help you imagine this and what this means for us, I'll just tell you a story um, and to, to imagine the the application that I'm going to give for you individually. You know, I'm not from the South, as you can tell by my accent, um, my, my Yankee accent. Um, and I'm not used to tornadoes. They freak me out. And I'm from a place where there are, there are, earthquakes. I've talked about how I survived the 1989 earthquake in California. The great thing about earthquakes, no warning. You know, it just comes. Actually, it's a terrible thing, but, but you're not you're not reduced to that fearful anticipation you know? But tornadoes, uh, there's a little bit of a warning in the sirens. And, and usually it's a false alarm, which is actually the worst thing about it. Because when I'm with you, I was with Alfred Goings once. I remember this. You remember this, Alfred? We were at a restaurant three years ago and there were sirens going off and Alfred's just like, yeah, whatever, because it happens all the time. But I'm, I'm like, where's the nearest uh, concrete underground parking lot that I can get in when this happens? Because I heard all the stories about the, the Tuscaloosa tornadoes. It's just a, a, like a monster, menacing approach, and you don't know where it's going to land. And, you know, hurricanes are, are, are... But anyway, we were in... Sorry, before I go on to hurricanes... That We were here, you know, three years ago, Christmas, there was a tornado on Christmas Day. You probably don't remember this because you didn't care, but I did. <laughs> and our family got, I locked my, my whole family and my in-laws in the bathroom, and my mother-in-law and my daughters are in the bathtub uh, because the sirens are going out seeking shelter. Hurricanes must be even worse than this because you've got even more advanced notice, you know. I mean, come on, people in the panhandle of Florida. You had two days. Leave. I know some pastors who stick around when hurricanes happen. Let me tell you, just leave, people. I'm not going to be like the captain of the ship and stick around with you. Uh, I'm going to get my family to safety. uh, So you do the same. Just get all your precious items and leave. Uh, but, you know, earthquakes, there's, there's no warning like that. It just sort of it falls upon you. Well, here's the, the good news of the, the story of Jericho uh, with uh, this in mind. God has uh, given uh, his mercy in that he's given all of us a sort of escape hatch. Our house is a one-level um, ranch-style home, so we don't have a basement. So every time I go to uh, Home Depot, I see those five-thousand-dollar pods that you can buy, and they're looking pretty good. I'm, I'm gonna save up five grand to buy one of those. Well, here's the good news of the story of Jericho: God has given us a shelter. He's given us an escape hatch. Just as God made uh, Israel uh, to circle around Jericho for seven stinking days. You know, the a coming for seven days. Jesus Christ sent his disciples to circle the globe as ambassadors for 2,000 years. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus, and they're, they're imagining something like uh, the conquest of, Jan- uh, of, uh, of Canaan, you know, when they say something like this. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to exert your power right now? To which he answers, it is not for you to know. This was 2,000 years ago. And he says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the day of his one final judgment is indeed coming ahead. He did not deny that. Actually, he warned us of it. But Jesus Christ is not only our judge, he's also our refuge, our shelter, our escape hatch, whatever you want to call it. And so here's my, here are my final thoughts, finally, to each of you. I want to remind my fellow believers that we are like Rahab and the Gibeonites and not Israel. I hope this idea settles deep in uh, your heart, deep down in your heart, and bears fruit. God has rescued you from destruction to live as citizens of his kingdom in the ultimate promised land that is not yet fully realized for us. And I implore you to live the rest of your life in light of that redemption, that he has saved you. And also to my fellow believers, I want to remind you that we're living in the Acts 1 era right now that Jesus described in Acts chapter 1. We're currently circling the walls of the Jericho that is this world. Yet this time, rather than shout a cry that will destroy the world with its resonance, we are to shout something akin to an emergency broadcast message. Did you all get the, the one that came out two weeks ago, like everybody in the nation got on their cell phone? we're sending out an emergency broadcast message that says disaster awaits. Take the evacuation route that's called the blood and cross of Jesus Christ. And finally, to you who do not know whether you yet can trust Jesus or not, I want to say to you, all of your life has led to this very moment right now. I don't know whether you're here in the building or whether you're going to listen to this on the recording online someday in the future, but I say to you, do not shut the walls of your heart like the fortified city of Jericho. Instead, send up a white flag of surrender and cry mercy. Follow the lead of Rahab. Trust that the Lord has your best interests in mind at the life in the kingdom is better than the life in your own personal Jericho. God has offered you a free gift of reconciliation to himself by the blood of his Son. All you have to do is accept the gift. I invite you to accept the gift of mercy. Amen.